And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. You know my voice. My name is Eddie Cohn. I'm obviously the host, the creator of the Spiritual Spiral. Thrilled that you're listening. Really great conversation today with an actor here in Los Angeles, Chris Webster. Before we get there, just a, just a few quick housekeeping points here. Actually, I'm going to add a couple elements, I believe, to the show. I'm going to, I just created the YouTube live channel for my podcast. My friend Olivier has been bugging me for the last year to go live on YouTube. So I'm going to start next week. It's called the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast on YouTube. So go over there and subscribe. So if you want to see or listen to all my mistakes that I edit out for my actual podcast, you can head over to my YouTube channel. I'm also going to be posting them live, I believe, at least try on the Podbean app. So that'll just, those will be audio live recordings. So Podbean, follow me over there. Follow me on YouTube, YouTube Live. I'm going to really try and get this YouTube Live video streaming thing going. If you dig the show, share it with your friends. Head over to iTunes, write a review, give it a five star. Reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Eddie Cohn and say hello. Ask me questions. Tell me what you thought about the show. I've got some incredible guests, some actors, some writers lined up over the next couple of weeks. You can support my show um, on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. You can find me on Venmo at Eddie Cohn. And remember, next week should be going on YouTube Live, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast on my YouTube channel. So there you go. So today, an amazing conversation with Chris Webster. He's an actor here in LA. He's from England. And I met Chris, I feel like almost about 18 months ago. He was coming to my yoga class. And we became, you know, sort of friends, but I always liked him. I just always thought he had cool energy. And he left the studio, but I bumped into him about three months ago over at Training Mate, which is my favorite hit studio here in LA. And we started talking and he was listening to my podcast. And I have, I've always sort of had these mixed feelings about Netflix and tech and I thought it'd be really cool to have him on the show. And I also think the timing is really good because he just had a show that's come out like two days ago on this new app called Quibi. It's sort of an important development, I think, because basically it's more geared towards your cell phone. It's it's entertainment shows, movies that are delivered in very small 10-minute clips, and they're meant to be delivered on your cell phone. You know, there's some big-time names attached to this um, app, or channel, or whatever you really want to call it. Um, And Quibi really stands for Quick Bites. They're going to offer movies, reality shows, and news programs made for the smartphone, with no installment clocking in at more than 10 minutes. You have Jennifer Lopez, LeBron James, Chance the Rapper, Bill Murray, Steven Spielberg, I mean, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and Miss Whiteman, or Miss Whitman, rather. They're heading this, this new endeavor. So he has a new show coming out and it's called, hang on, let me find it. It's called The Most Dangerous Game. Hang on. And then there's a major actor in it. I think there's a few actually. Suddenly my internet is terrible. See, when when I start posting these these podcasts live, you're going to be able to see my slow internet. You're going to hear me make mistakes. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Liam Hensworth and Christopher Waltz are the main stars. And then my, my guest, Chris Webster, is also on the show. I guess he shows up around episode three or four. So it's a really great talk about art, the effect of technology on creativity, being an actor here in LA, the good and the bad of tech, and just the effects of everybody moving all of their creative endeavors possibly towards short formats. I mean, and I even think to myself, am I an idiot for writing a 200-page book right now? Is, is that is that even possible? Are people interested in books? Are people more interested in quick, short clips, under 10 minutes, get as much information as you possibly can, as quickly as you can? So I thought it was a great talk, one of my favorite. Uh, he's a really smart guy, really cool guy, and there's just a lot of really great moments. And I, th- I think you're going to learn a lot. And again, the show is called Most Dangerous Game. It's on Quibi, Q-U-I-B-I. It's an app. Anyway, so great talk. If you dig the show, remember, head over to iTunes, write a review, say hello to me on Instagram, 
Find me on YouTube Live, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast, YouTube Live channel. Remember, I teach yoga classes right now online via YouTube, so message me. I'll give you all the details for that. And that is it. As always, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. How, what what's going on? How, how you, you first of all, I have to just thank you for uh, being such a fan of my. This is not going to be a PR. Uh, it's called I'm talking about my yoga class, but I just <laughs> I just I wanted to thank you for uh, being a part of my class. It's been awesome. Man, like I said, man, it's just been. Um, it's I think right now it's so e- it's so easily. I mean, I, I'm I'm more fortunate than most. I live with you know my best friend. My wife is. Mackenzie's just uh, a wonderful person to live with, and we we live in two rooms basically on top of each other in a one bedroom apartment. But to, right now, to have someone that I feel like I'm kind of going through this process with, like quarantine with, I, it's just it's just been great, man. And I mean, yoga, yoga in general is just um, you've you've been a, you've been something of a lifeline to me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really. How are you doing? You know, um, today I'm good. I am. I've been writing a book for almost two and a half years and I thought I was done. And then I sent it to my mom who's, you know, I was an English major and she had her master's in English. So um, as much as I thought I was good with grammar, <laughs> I'm I'm quickly noticing that I still had a lot of, I it still had work to do. And the, the challenging part for me, you know, I'm a pretty, I've, I've read a lot over the years you know, when you write a short story or let's say, you know, even five, 10 pages, I think you can almost trick people into believing that you're a good writer. Right. And even this almost complete, this will connect to our, to our podcast today. I think even with Instagram, you, you know, you can fool anyone, but when you write a novel or 200 pages, It'll become pretty clear after about 10 pages. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. It, it, it's something that it's very difficult. You can you can fake a lot of things in life. You can fake being um, – uh, you can fake it till you make it in a lot of lines of work, but you can't do it with writing. There are tricks of the trade. You can – do you know what I mean? Especially if you're writing like screenplays or something like that. There have been a lot of kind of – poorly written screenplays that have nevertheless made pretty good movies because they've engaged interesting actors and or they've been you know got great special effects or whatever but if you're writing a straight up piece of literature well you're going to expose yourself as a fraud if you can't string a sentence together you like you say probably within the first couple pages you can't use the same words over you know you can use specific words for the first time in those first 10 pages and they're interesting and they're a way of describing somebody or the way that somebody looks or communicates but you can't use that same word on page 45 because you know i've already seen that word before or you have to think of interesting new ways to deliver emotion or a sentence and you know i think i've written songs before and you know when you're in it you just lose perspective and objectivity and she sort of and it's great to have her because i don't want what she's thinking to be thought by an agent or a publisher Mm -hmm. because i do believe you don't have many chances to really kind of make it as an actor or as a writer I I think opportunities where you walk into an agent's door, those opportunities don't happen very often. You don't want to screw you don't no. want to screw it up. Yeah, you have to you have to be on the front foot. You have to put your best front foot forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah so totally. it's great that you have that relationship with your mom. Yeah, it's, that, you're, it's, that you're able to take that kind of criticism from her. She, I think, can really appreciate the work that goes into mm-hmm. writing a book. Now, so what you may have told me before, but just 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 remind me, what's the book about? And I think probably like, what I'm more interested in is like, why is it so important to you to 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 write it? Yeah, interesting. Well, I can't say what it's about yet because okay. um, just for you know boring legal reasons, and the idea is sure. really great. But sure. I 
got inspired by, you know, it's hard to explain without giving it away. I just became really inspired by our culture's obsession with technology and the fake world that's created on Instagram. And ironically now, I think it, I was just reading an article in the New York times where anybody that sort of was resistant or hesitant to embrace technology. Now you, you have to, or else you're, you're just, nobody cares about you anymore. And even keeping connections with people, they're, they're going to be completely lost if you don't hold on and keep using technology. So I just, I felt as though, and I saw it a couple of years ago, and I, this sounds insane to say, but I've really felt as though it's ruining human beings. It's turning people into robots. It's diminishing the brain's potential to feel. You are being led and manipulated down very specific paths that Instagram and Facebook want you to keep going down because they can tell after six months based on the things that you click on, what you're attracted to, what you hate, what's going to keep you glued to your phone. And I have become so revolted by it that I wanted to write a sarcastic tale about what it's done to our culture. And and so that's sort of what my intent was mm-hmm. behind it. Mm-hmm. There's, it's a really strong premise, man. I mean, like, I do you is there so so it sounds like you've come to the belief that the um, that technology's ascendance is is basically now already complete. It's kind of it's it's in place and it's unshakable, and there's nothing we can do to topple it. Is well, that is that right? Well, is, am I right in thinking that, so, that that's, that's how you view it? What's so interesting for me is about. I've believed up until a month ago before this all started that if you were an introvert, if you were a minimalist or anti-tech, yeah. you I remember I think I heard your last episode and you were basically saying like it's actually this that's been the tipping point. We're yes. basically at the apex of it right now. This is the crest of the the fucking wave. Basically. Yes, totally. It's actually it just got worse. I suppose the next logical question I think to, to ask you then is like, well, do you envision if this is if this is uh, cemented now, do you envision any way in which we can more holistically, more healthily use technology? And do you what are you, what, you know like do, can you envision a world perhaps in twenty thirty years where we are still utilizing these tools but we're doing them in a more mindful way? I don't trust that that can be done. I think, but, you're do, but you're doing it. Yeah, well, I think, but that's the thing. I, I'm not trying to throw myself on some high horse here. I think the level of awareness, curiosity, the amount of discipline, the level of passion that one needs beyond technology is so strong and high that if you don't have those, mm. you're going to numb out and just zone out on your phone or Netflix. It it requires such such awareness to all of those human yeah. elements. So I, I don't I think there are individual cases where if you have a passion like Quentin Tarantino, the vast majority of people I think for a variety of reasons don't have the ability to turn it off. I think I agree with you. Um and I, I used to get sad because, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, man. Like we, we're of an age where both of us, I think, where, you know, we can remember the time before this, this whole paradigm. You know, I, I still remember the days where my mum, bless her, would, uh, when she answered the, the landline at home, like she had like a phone voice. Do you know what I mean? Like she was like, 102, the Webster residence. <laughs> you know, right. it's like it was a big deal. Getting a phone call was a was a was a big deal. You know, we've had like a front row seat to this transition from that to communication at all time, and it's cheapened and it's lessened, and the significance of it is uh, a lot more throwaway. But that said, I mean, to play devil's advocate, I mean, mate, this. I mean, it's the same technology that's allowed you and me to connect over the last few weeks. 
you know. And it's not the same. I know it mustn't be the same for you when you're teaching in a class and you can't see anybody and you can't. You're 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 always talking in class about like gauging the energy of the room and how it's impossible. And so you're sort of just remotely gauging. Although I have to say also, just as a quick aside, whenever you say Chris, I know you're doing this. Like it's always hundred percent true. Weird. So you have a funny way of intuiting that. But you know, that's something. You know, there's something to be said for that. We're having we're having this conversation. We're looking at each other through the same technology. You know, so I I think I suppose I I agree with you in the in the assessment that it's so easy to be unconscious about the negative effects of it that the majority of people probably won't adapt in a healthy way. The majority of children perhaps won't grow up with a healthy mindset towards it. But then the optimist in me wants to say, well, I can be mindful of it, so why can't anybody else? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I try and think that... Um, because also, also what you've seen in the last 20 years is even though we're having increasing rates of anxiety and depression, which is something which is not just statistically borne out, but just anecdotally I felt... I, I remember it was like in 2000. I have direct experience of it. I, I can tell that society and people in general seem more ill at ease and less, um, uh, less at peace with themselves now, now more so than ever. That said, it has simultaneously in the last 20 years, the ability to talk about mental health and depression, all that sort of stuff is, has, and, and the, and the resources and the, you know, the, the treatment that's around being able to sort of deal with that is, has grown, I mean, to, into a mass market. But, um, so I don't know, I, 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 I try and, I try and look at the curve and not always see the downward parts of it i try and look on the brighter side of things but i will admit that it's it's hard not to be cynical and depressed about it how do you how do you um how do you deal with it if it if it bums you it can't you know because whenever i talk to you and whenever i meet you you always seem like you're pretty optimistic you that you always seem like you're, you're you have a very peaceful energy to you so it can't it can't be something that's totally all-consuming and negative for you no not at all but i I think I am I've worked really hard to have this mental state of mind and I I feel lucky and I am generally really happy and I actually find a lot of joy out of thinking. I I really like to ask yeah. I like this my podcasts is almost a strange outlet where it allows me yeah. to think about and I know what a lot of other people think about but they don't have the time or are nervous or you know occupy themselves with their kids or their life or they just sort of numb out and it's weird I I, I want to be careful not to portray somebody who is cynical and negative and thinks the world is ending tomorrow because I think deep down, since I'm not depressed and I do use technology and I have a lot of friends and I teach yoga, that I, I am relatively a very well-adjusted human being. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, but, totally. but, but thank you. But I can't. <laughs> but I do want, and this this will relate to you and me and creativity. I do think about the quality of music that I listened to ten years ago. The quality of movies, and I know there's exceptions. I thought The Joker was yeah. great. I thought um, yeah. Parasite yeah, so. was great. There are exceptions, but it is, I mean, I remember the days of turning everything off and listening to a full record. I remember the days of going to the movie theater and never considering having a phone go off and experience a movie. I think experiences culturally collectively are going downward and those yeah, I, I agree and that affects me personally of course if i am not as inspired as i was 5 years ago and i know people out there will say well you just need to go look for it but it's not even about looking for it it, it would come to me because the studios and the record executives would find the talent do what they could to get it to me and i realize it's up to me to find it. But if I'm just 
flooded Netflix, here you go, and then they're manipulating me through algorithms. They're really giving me what they think I want. There is a subtle difference living life creatively based on an algorithm as opposed to professionals going out and searching for talent, hiring Chris Webster to make this movie because they believe in you. And then because they believe in you and took a chance on you, then they're going to do whatever they can to get more people to see a Chris Webster project or a new record from some new band that they're taking a chance on. It's complicated, but I I think the process of creativity has dwindled down and then tech is taking up the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess my question to you, which I think is so interesting, what's this new platform that with Quibi? Quibi. Yeah. So Quibi just came out literally like a few days ago. Today. It's launch day. Okay. So this is what's so ironic. You know, I talk about, you know, writing a two hundred page book or Quentin Tarantino spending four years to put Inglorious Bastards together. But now here are all these executives getting on Quibi, which is basically like these five to ten little minute snippets of movies and shows that is geared specifically just for phones. Yeah. So, again, I'm just I see myself all these people, Spielberg and execs, if they could instead of spending all the time and energy it takes to create a 10 minute show that's specifically geared for a phone, if they were spending all of that time and energy trying to create something a little bit greater wouldn't something greater be created? But then they're responding to just the world that we live in now. That is, we all just look at our phones all day. So for, from my perspective, it's, it's interesting. I understand where you're coming from, but I, um, that, that process that you described about how, about people willing to take a chance um, and how that's a rare thing. Well, I have direct experience of that, man. Like, you know, I've been, I've been slogging away as an actor since I was eight years old and I'm 33 uh, now. And it's just taken me a very, very long time to get into a position where, um, uh, where I can be creatively fulfilled and pay, you know, pay the rent. And this show, uh, the guy who runs it, it's a guy called Nick Santora and this script and this character um, really was, the planets really aligned for me on it. I went from, you know, having a little bit parts in various like TV dramas to basically being one of the main roles in what is essentially a, a feature film that we shot uh, and is being released in sort of 10 minute episodes. Mm. So I actually found through this process, like this is, this has been my most creatively rewarding project that I've ever been involved in. And, and they took a big risk on me um, because they could have got a, a far a better established actor in this role. And they didn't because Nick was like, he's, he's the guy for the job. And in actual fact, because Quibi is a digital starter, they handed off most of the creative control to just a handful of individuals. They were like, we trust you guys, you know, we're going to, we've commissioned you. We want really good content. So you get to make the creative decisions. And I really credit that as to how I was cast. I don't know whether I would have been cast if it, if it would have been, uh, your typical kind of network TV gig, because that that's that's a far thornier process because you're having to deal with about 25 executives, a boardroom decision. Whereas this, because it was new and because it was uh, essentially a startup that was funding it, the two individuals made the call, primarily Nick Santora and, and second, second to that was um, Phil Abraham, the director. So my personal experience working with Quibi was brilliant. Um, I and 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 obviously I, I I hope for its success. But um, as for short form content on phones and stuff, I don't know, man. Like uh, I know where you're coming from. Um, I don't know whether it. Um, oh, here's my point. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe I'm an idiot for writing a book because that's just not where our culture is headed. And but I guess this I feel as though artists and creators, their freedom to create is being more manipulated and influenced by the effects of technology than their own creative spirit. Mm -hmm. Like this idea of releasing or making a movie and then splitting it up into 10 minute 
excerpts. I mean, who knows if the filmmakers really deep down thought of the idea that way, but there's no choice per se now with artists or their options, although may seem greater because there's more opportunities and there's more television shows. I just feel like tech is affecting how art is made. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's that's true. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, Nick Santora, actually, the the showrunner, the guy who wrote it, I think has gone on record. I, I read an interesting article. I think it might be the article that you sent by uh, text uh, yesterday uh, in the New York Times about how challenging it was to adapt a screenplay for short form mm. format. Because essentially, like you know, like when you're writing a screenplay for a 90 minute feature film. You, you you have the luxury of writing a 10-minute scene, you know, and, and there, there can be natural f- flow of conversation and stuff in a 10-minute scene um, and establishing of characters. Well, that is really, really challenging. In a, when, when your max for in a whole episode is 10 minutes, well, then your everything is condensed and you have to, there have to be, there has to be a beginning, a middle and end to a far shorter snippet of, of drama. Um and it's hard, it's hard to do. I like to think with this particular script, I thought it was done quite well, actually. And um, uh, But yeah, I don't think it's in an easy task. Uh, and so, yeah, I think you're right in that perspective. It has probably changed. Yeah, you're right, the way that art is created. Well, and then also technology to me is affecting people's attention span and brain and because there's and then there's so much that then I do believe, again, not to use me as an example, but maybe I am an idiot for trying to write a 200-page book because really my intention should be to do something shorter, quicker, more maybe sexual or over the top to get people's attentions uh, attention because to be a first-time writer, to come out with a 200-page book, maybe our culture just isn't set up for that type of delivery system. I don't know. I just think it's it, – people are still bringing out novels, aren't they? You know, I, th- I just think the market has changed. For me, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I'm a reader. I, I really like to read. Um, it brings me – I can get – well, you know, I'm an actor, so I love – all types of story, really. Anything that can be immersive, like if it, even if it's a good video game or something like that. I think, you know, you can... I love story. And so I like reading and I like fiction. And one thing that I find that has happened is that there's... I, my, I feel like I've been sort of... My demographic of, like, relatively young man reader has kind of been, like, um, left by the wayside a bit. Um, it, I don't like, and perhaps it's tech that's that's guilty for this. Perhaps there is just the assumption that a bloke in his early thirties isn't going to be sitting down and reading a novel. Hmm. And perhaps on a on a wide enough scale, that might be true. But certainly, like a lot, you know, most of my friends that I know do read, and so I find myself often like looking looking back to classics, to older literature, to like you know your Hemingways, your Cormac McCarthy, stuff that was written in like you know, the late 60s, early 70s, or, you know, even before that, obviously, in Hemingway's case. I, I feel like the market demographics of, of literature now have sort of swung to, towards this assumption that it's going to be like a, a middle-aged woman. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. a woman in her like, late 50s or something. I feel like that's the way it's gone. So I do feel a little bit left behind in that respect. I think there will always be a long-term market for classic literature and classic film i just i agree with you i think it's becoming smaller and more niche now it's interesting that you you talk about the joker because i i loved that movie but i was just astonished one of the reasons why i loved it so much was that i was so i was so astonished that it they managed to make it Hmm. you know here here was here was a project which was funded primarily i think what was part of the dc comic book franchise mm-hmm. it was like essentially a, a scorsese movie you know <laughs> like like the fact that it was like it was it, i mean it was barely in the batman universe yeah. uh, it was basically just a, a harrowing portrait of a man a man's descent into madness um and that really gave me hope man me like too. those sort of those sort of projects that that make me that makes me think oh right yeah there's still and it did well as well it mm-hmm. did really really well and also like you know parasite 
that um, is the Korean director, Boom Jong-ho. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, perhaps I've got his name wrong. But um, that movie and the fact that it was a foreign language movie, uh, you know, and it winning the best picture, that gives me a little hope me of, too. as well. Of like, oh, okay, yeah, people are interested in smart stuff still. Hey, have you seen on Netflix, um, there's a brilliant um there's a brilliant movie out. It's a Spanish movie that Netflix picked up called The Platform. It's yeah. actually a bad translation. Yeah, you Did told, we talk about this? Well, yeah, we yeah about you this. told me, and I'm glad that you brought it up again because I'd forgotten the name. No, I'll have to check it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. El yeah, it's smart, man. It's well, really and you, you actually bring up two movies that, in a, in a sense, are nullifying my point in a strange sort of way because, yeah, those two movies, The Joker and Parasite, really gave me hope. Yeah. I Because they were completely not what it feels as though Americans are just consuming and consuming. They were a risk. And I just love that Bong Joon-ho's movie won. I love that as dark as the Joker was that people actually went to see it. Um, yes. and it, and it wasn't just yeah. about his performance, um, just stylistically and how it looked and the score, the story, the relationship with his mom. It was just all in all just an incredible movie. But I thought it was telling that there was so much kind of politicized coverage of it. And a lot of people were basically saying, oh, you know, it incites hatred, it incites violence, it's dangerous. Mm, and, I and you know, I, I, I think perhaps that's testament to the fact that it's so rare now that something makes people feel that degree of fear and threat. You know, because I felt it. I watched it and I was like, because he, he essentially, I feel like the... Like he he is left as something of a victor, do you know what I mean? Almost in his madness. Like I remember walking out of the the movie theater and going, "Yeah, that 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 was unsettling." And I think it's so rare now that art does that to people, especially kind of mass media um uh you know like i say like it was a dc comic movie that that made me walk out of a a movie theater and go bloody hell yeah like somebody might pick up a gun and go crazy do you know what i mean and 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 i i don't know i i I think perhaps it's art should have that effect on people it should be gut churning it should provoke a response surely that's the whole point of it to provoke response right well and you brought up an interesting point and this will this will relate to netflix because i want to talk about that also Uh oh my cat i may (laughs) i may have to these cats are demanding man oh they're great they they rule the house they interrupt your yoga classes i know i know wait hold on what was my point oh yeah I just, those moments when, and I'll re- I remember when I went to the theater and saw Goodfellas. I remember seeing Die Hard in the theater. And <laughs> I think about like Platoon, I saw that, or Full Metal Jacket. And I think about those movies because when I saw them, I don't even, some of them I don't, I didn't even have a cell phone. It forced you to really live with it mm. and settle in and think about it and ruminate over it. And I'm thinking about now how people are consuming, especially with, with Netflix. I don't think people are really there. It's more about getting through as fast as you can, as opposed to really sitting with and ruminating on something. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, it's a different way of consumption. Yeah, and- but you know what's really fascinating about Netflix, mate, is that like Netflix has content, and I, I, I'm sure, you know, I don't want to be biased just about Netflix, I'm sure other, other platforms have it as well, which queries this stuff, you know, which, which is, you know, it, it does, it, it's not above um, self parody and self reflection. There's a really interesting documentary on Netflix that um, Mac and I have been watching recently, and it was about the Unabomber. Have you seen it? No. Yeah, so it was, it's just this. Like, the Unabomber, I mean, got to a point where he was killing people. He was psychotic, like, and obviously that's, you know, disgusting, and he tried to blow up airliners and stuff. But um, he was motivated by just this this idea. He basically was like, technology's, you know, is, is, is going to be the death of all of us, and the people who are enabling it are... are um, 
are wicked and and need to be stopped and it's just you know it's stamping on the human soul and it's it's destroying our planet and it's encouraging thoughtlessness and all these things and you know he, he obviously he went to extreme <laughs> extremes to try and get his manifesto across i i've never read his manifesto i read snippets of it through through this kind of uh, documentary but i was i just thought it was really funny that i you know i this man's thoughts and ideas and philosophies were being transferred to me via the medium it was this uh, strange irony that i was made aware of him and his plight through the very thing that he he uh, he was opposed to i suppose still is opposed to i think he's still alive let me swing at you at a different angle that i think about also gone if you know 10 even five years ago if if Every weekend, three movies came out primarily, maybe three to five. Mm. And we kind of knew what Chris and Eddie were going to see that weekend. Um, I knew what my parents were going to go see. Every Thursday, Cheers was on. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is, is it then creates conversation about what people have seen and absorbed and watched. And now God only knows what, what show you watched last week. And yeah, you're going to... Um, tell me about it, and I'm going to go watch it. But I'm I'm talking about this collective, cultural, huge, larger community that is created when there's less. There's I feel like ironically there's more. There's a deeper chance of a community connection because more people are watching the same thing and talking about it. And God yeah. only knows when people watch this show or that show, because there's just so much. Right. And I feel like there's this mad dash to consume and get as much finished as quickly as possible because Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and HBO and there's just so many that it's just about delivering as much as we can. And I do think it does create less of a connection with people. Because... Because it's you're saying that the motivation from from the production company standpoint, the developer standpoint, is is to do with maximization of quantity of content as opposed to quality of content. I have to, I, I really that word content that pisses me off. Like I, I really wish we could strike that from the professional in, in industry vernacular, because content there's a certain. Um, distance in it do you know what i mean it's mm. like um it, it's just it's a shit shit to buy yeah just get out content it's stuff as opposed to you know even even just the word oh this project that means that there's been thought it, it, it signifies the amount of labor and and um thought that's gone into something you know like when when people talk about oh that we just need to create content it's it there's something uh, by they they go it's rote it's by rote it's like yeah just get some stuff out there because I can tell you man listen like you know I know you might disagree with the um, the the premise of Quibi but the actual practicality man of like making a show like that like was intense it was a labor of love it was hard it was a hard shoot it was a physical shoot for you know 50 60 upwards of you know 150 200 people at points um so the the actual tangible reality of creating something like that show i I can only be very proud of because i know the amount of man hours and um uh and energy that was put into it and and so when I, i don't like the word content because it i feel like it robs (laughs) <laughs> it robs a, a project of its of its essence in that respect. It makes it, it reduce. It's a reductionist word. It reduces the final product. And um, even if a project is more commerce than art, I still think the labour that's gone into it should be respected. Perhaps it's the equivalent of comparing a beautiful uh, ornate dresser made in the 19th century and hand carved out of wood in France to a piece of Ikea furniture. The Ikea, the Ikea furniture still had to be designed, you know, it still had to be planned out. It was a lot of work for somebody. Um, and uh, so, so I, try to, I try to keep that in mind. And um, I think I'm trying to bring a little bit more awareness to how challenging it is to create 
And I, I love your usage of the word content because I do think, you know, albums are going away and it's more about the one song single. The full, yeah. the full length movies, two and a half, three hours where people go to the theaters, they're going away because they know that more people are staying at home watching Netflix. Um, I, I mean, they did, they did create that three and a half hour Irishman. <laughs> right. Which straight for Netflix. Well, but this is the thing is that I, I think Paramount had their hands tied because I thought the movie was terrible. And I, I have to agree with you. I yeah, know it, was, it might not be it was a popular opinion, but un, I, I really struggled with it. It was unwatchable. <laughs> but, but Paramount had a problem because they're spending $200 million on a three-and-a-half-hour movie, and they know that people aren't going to the theaters anymore, and I don't care if Robert De Niro or Al Pacino are in this thing. It's not going to make us any money. So they... Uh, cut their ties with Marty. And then, of course, Netflix, who just has so much money at their disposal, is thinking, hell, we can get Martin Scorsese to come over here onto our platform. We'll, yeah. we'll give him money to finish this thing. Overall, there is a quality crisis happening everywhere. And I know little exceptions come through and peek up and say hello, but people's attention spans... The obsession with tech, technology, controlling the world with the money. And now even in this pandemic that we're dealing with, even more people are staying at home watching Netflix. As you said, they are about filling up as much content as they possibly can in space because they know that that's how people are consuming now. They are not going to the theater, especially now. We can't go to the theaters, but it's harder and harder to find and create something that is really upmost highest quality. What, what do you think the solution is? Or do you think, you know, I, I, the older I get, I sometimes think that everything in life is, is cyclical. We go through cycles. The economy goes through cycles. The, the culture goes through cycles. The fashion goes through cycles. Language goes through cycles. Perhaps maybe we're in a part of... I sometimes wonder whether the time that we're in now is slightly evocative of like the mid 1980s where there was, you know, at that time, you know, the, the era of like Top Gun and, and the kind of big budget action movie where like it fast pace and slightly unbelievable cartoon-esque kind of plot devices were occurring uh, because that's where we were at in the kind of cultural mindset. The, the you know, or if you believe in such a thing, Jung would talk about like the collective unconscious. So I suppose my posit to you is maybe th- this this current cultural precedent will give way to something a little bit more sophisticated and refined in in the coming decade or so. What do you think? I'm split. 50-50. I, I have no idea. And I, I'm, I'm reading this book. But surely, sh- surely, man. Right, okay, because let me, let me be straight with you, right? I'm actually a bit shaken up today. You know, like I asked you how you were and um, I've been, similar to you, I, I've been up and down throughout this coronavirus thing, like mostly up, mostly like, hey, I'm young and I'm healthy and I'm getting to spend some time with my wife. And, you know, it puts things into perspective. It really does. And, you know, I've gone from like, oh, God, I really hope my Quibi show does well and I get some more work and I don't have, you know, I don't have to keep working my day job and stuff to, oh, I hope I just find some, find some milk, you know, at the grocery store or like, you know, or I hope I don't develop breathing difficulties in the next week, you know. And I, I'm today, however, I'm really shaken up. Um, and that's because as staffed as it might sound, um, but I don't know whether you saw the news that Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, had been basically put into the he's on a ventilator in the ICU. And uh, you know, it's I've caught, I'm a smart enough person to to realise that it was real before that. But when the head of your government back home, like you know, is is looking down the barrel of the gun, uh, I don't know. It just struck a chord with me, and it made me think. Really, this thing, this thing is a big deal and it's it's a traumatic occurrence for the world right now and um yeah like i say i i I suppose the reason i'm telling you that is just because i think well surely at a time where i agree the culture has tended towards the vacuous like you know we we are we we've promoted people like instagram influences into positions of (laughs) 
somehow authority and power and wealth. Surely, if anything can give us perspective, it's this, man. Because we all know people, even if it's just anecdotally like that, that have either you know died or come close to death through this and and i hate to say it but the coming weeks will probably know more so you know i i can't i don't i suppose i don't want to believe that that the outcome of this can, can be anything but a general increase in maturity across the world what do you think i i'm going to struggle with with my answer here because i i get hopeful oh gosh hold on you know, here's the thing, and I think this relates to um, a lot. I think I don't believe anybody who is going through this and just feels one way. And I think it, my emotions change every day about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of why I got even frustrated. This sort of connects to yoga. I got a little frustrated by the persona surrounding yoga teachers because I because I knew so many yoga teachers were like a train wreck, and to me, and then when I see Instagrammers perpetuating this image of yoga teachers being these God Almighty perfect, just always yeah. relaxed human beings, Zen, Zen gurus, yeah, every yeah. minute of the day is just such bullshit. So yeah. I'm trying to my it goes to my podcast. I am trying to speak openly and honestly about emotions. I love that. Emotions that I, I have that. that that are real that I know people are connecting with, but are scared or are worried what people yeah. may think about it. Yeah. So you know, I you know have those moments where I think this is the end of the world, and I'm wondering. You know, my dad goes to the grocery store still every like three four days, and he's like eight, almost eighty, and I'm thinking like going to the grocery store, and then I'll I'll open up the New York Times, and I, I see these statistics and. And then I go, the worst thing that I could possibly do right now is you, you do not want to go to Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is the worst place on earth right now because <laughs> it's just a, it's on the fucking lines and everything. I hate that place. Um, but where, then, are you getting, where, where, where are you getting your groceries from? Just, you know, I mean, we go to Trader Joe's like every two weeks, but it, it um, like Whole Foods mostly. Yeah. But I guess my point is, is that sometimes I think we're all just like getting duped. This whole thing is a fucking just we've been manipulated, just like my my premise of my show. I think human beings are so easily manipulated. And I think 10,000 people have died in America. Well, you know, like 40,000 people have died this year from the flu. And for whatever reason, the media has just latched onto this story and freaked people out and. You know, every year we have coronaviruses and 50,000 people die every year from suicide. And um, the way that the country, politicians and the media is latched on this story, I think to myself, fuck, we're just we're not in control of shit. Some we've just all been forced into our homes now. And now we're like pedaling away and trying to figure out how to like breathe and make find some air and you and i are here having this conversation over the fucking computer and like what the what the fuck is this like this is seriously fucked up so i go from one extreme to the other and i think we're all like getting played and and it's just a joke not like i believe this is happening but then i read stories from physicians and medical professionals that are just as experienced and have just as much expertise as Dr. Fauci. And they think this is all a fucking joke and they can't believe that our country has had this reaction is completely shut down. So I, I don't know what to think. I've lost both my parents already. So I, 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 I know what it feels like to lose a loved one prematurely. Um, neither of my parents are very old. Um, and so, you know, my, you know, even if only 10,000 people have died in, a, in this country so far, uh, that's a lot of bereaved people, you know. And so so I, I, I understand that part of it. I also understand, you know, there is this thorny philosophical kind of question of like, okay, well, irrespective of how frightened you are of, of this disease for yourself and for your own loved ones, then, you know, like, um, I, think, I think what's really a, a difficult question for everybody is just how long this is going to go on for how long is this the new normal i think that's probably the 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 thorniest question of just like how long is this indefinite now 
Yeah, um, I, there's I, a lot of pe- there's a lot of people that have been talking about it, some articles that I've read because in England they're, they're treating the lockdown very very seriously, um, and the police have all these kind of new powers and authority to um, question you if you're you know if you're out in the park and they think that you don't have a right to be there and all that sort of stuff. And well, so there there are some people basically saying that you know like it's it's essentially a new form of tyranny. Let me um, say let me say one point and then I I can't help but think about it. I just, I can't help but think that there's tragedy and trauma that happens every year, every day, and life is beautiful at points, but tragic and scary, and how is this any different than what we face collectively, culturally, every single day? There's flu there's new viruses, there's disease, there's violence and hatred. I just am perplexed and confused by the amount of detailed attention that this story has taken. And I know people, and I'm not being insensitive to people that have already died. They're, you know, but there are literally thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that die every single day. 1,500 people sure. die. You know, I just... No, I, 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 I take your point. Like, if, if, if the media, if, if, if it was headline news coverage at any time that somebody died of bowel cancer, like, you know, yes. it would be it, it would be horrendous reading all the time. We'd be like, oh my God, we lost how many people to bowel cancer today? Uh, no, you do have a point. I suppose the difference with this is, is that this being an infectious disease there is a, a moral imperative or that's that's been put on us to be like yo even if you get it and you you know you're not particularly affected by it there are potential for you to pass it on to multitudes of people who actually might be seriously affected by it or, or, or die so i'm no i'm totally like i think we should all be like willing to give up um our social lives to to prevent that but my my question is just like okay, well, give us you know we do need a bit of an end game like you know like like, like let's let's talk like you know how long this is going to go on for or how long we're collectively willing to, to to you know for this to go on for because I think one thing that is certainly true and you can't compare the two things um, death and economic ruin but uh, you know I, I I I know many people whose financial position right now is precarious to say the least. I mean they're facing joblessness potential homelessness you know and i feel like the economic victims of of coronavirus will probably outnumber the 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 people who come into direct contact with it well yeah Um, i guess i think that's my one of my big points is we are you know you can't argue with numbers and, and it's an interesting sort of way the human brain works you know we somehow if somebody has a thousand followers and somebody else has 500 followers, you know, we give more respect to the thousand. And then we even rate like people on a scale of one to 10. I mean, we love, nu- <laughs> we love numbers and like rotten, <laughs> rotten tomatoes. Yeah. You know, 90- yeah. I actually, I, 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 I use rotten to- like my wife and I, like if we, if we're researching a new movie, that's the metric that we go off. Yeah. Like, like, oh, we got 85% of rotten tomatoes. Yeah. We'll give it a chance. You know we, I mean? we go, like, it's just so easy for us to absorb and digest metrics and numbers. And so it is impossible for my argument or my even curiosity for people to even contemplate what has happened here based on 10, we see the number 10,000. We see these running numbers of how many new people die every day. But I am telling you, if the newspapers or the medias had these same running tabulations going on with breast cancer, lung cancer, flu, any other innumerable amount of diseases out there, I do believe the same effect would happen. And back to your point about, you know, capitalism or money or jobs, that can't even be observed or contemplated because when you have a number like 10,000, let's say four, four months from now, 50,000 people have died from the coronavirus, you can't quantify unemployment, depression, and then what that will lead people to do based on them losing their jobs and You're being right. home yeah, all day. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that is, that's a depth. You can never, you can never quantify the metrics of that. Right? Yeah, completely. Well, also, I mean, like, I think there's a, a very valid argument to say um, that we'll never know the numbers of people that actually had this virus. Um, totally. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated to see in a year's time what the 
you know, how this period will be viewed with hindsight, what we'll know then that we don't know now. You know, one, one thing that fascinates me and, and worries me a little bit about it is just, um, you know, it's really interesting to me that like, so the assumption seems to be that there is a, a big segment of the population who are either largely asymptomatic with it or, or have very, you know, mild symptoms of it, but are still potential carriers of it. And around, I think what the numbers are suggesting about, they think about 20% are, are hospitalised. So... You know, and yeah, a big a big chunk of that twenty percent seem to be people who have underlying health conditions or who are otherwise kind of deemed to be, be higher risk, like whether it be through age or other or other factors. But there is, you know, I I, I saw and like like you say, man, like it's it, it's it's difficult to deny the severity of it when you have like medical health professionals who are on camera and are talking. Yeah, it's really tough. In that. I saw a, a British doctor almost in tears on BBC News the other day because he was talking about how you know, how many people in its ward were on ventilators and some of them were young and, and otherwise healthy. And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting. Obviously, there's something about this virus which is able to really impact on certain people. And I think we'll know in a year's time or so what what genetic factor or what lifestyle factor or whatever it was um, contributed to that. And I think so. I think it's that unknown. I think we've I think you might be touching on this. We've come to a place of, I think, such luxury in life that it almost seemed like it was a bit too easy and, and where everything, uh, knowledge is always, a, you know, at the touch of a button away and, you know, we can look everything up and then all of a sudden this has come along and it's killed many thousands of people now as, as we're having this conversation and we don't know that much about it and there's nothing we can do to control it and I think it's that lack of control that people were better at accepting a hundred years ago when the Spanish flu came out and killed upwards of, they think, 40 to 100 million people. And now, as a you know, comparison to, to then, this is a relatively um, more benign disease, but still the fact that it is able to happen at all on any scale, I think has really rattled people. Because I, I really do believe that, and I was guilty of it as well until I lost my, my dad when I was 28 and then my mum the year later, that I think, I think, you know, you can become coddled in this society where we haven't really experienced war or depression, our generation at least, um, and you sort of kind of believe in your own immortality and all of a sudden there's this big ugly spotlight that's drawn on the fact that, you know, well, guess what? You know, the reaper comes for all of us. It's funny, and I'll I'll let you go. And I I feel like you and I could let's keep these conversations going because there's more that I I want to talk to you about. But I also want to try to keep these episodes, you know, a little short. <laughs> no, just shorter because people. It's interesting. Podcasts are actually one of the one mediums that have gone down in in listening ship, if that's such a word, because a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're driving, and people aren't driving right now. Right. Right. So, but I did want to ask one more question. I'll let you go or at least bring up a point, you brought up something about, you know, we haven't had a major war in our, in our generation. I think Instagram and technology and social media has created an invincibility effect in people. Like they feel like they can say or do anything. There are no repercussions to, you know, responding or hating somebody's comment on Facebook. There's all these not even conversations happening on Facebook or Instagram where, you know, people will vomit at their favorite sports star, favorite celebrities, or, or say whatever they want if they don't like Miley Cyrus. It almost gives people free reign to just sort of say or do whatever they want. And I think this, look, I have my own anxieties about this virus. I think it is I go back and forth with this because I'll go for a walk and I'll see, you know, five kids in their 20s huddle around each other just like sta <laughs> like staring at TikTok or something. They just don't give a fuck about what's going on yeah, right now. Yeah. Like they yeah. just whatever. They don't they just don't even think the world, about it. the world hasn't stopped for them. Yeah, the world is nothing is going to make and I guess that's where I go negative sometimes is I don't think there's anything that is going to stop this self-indulgent narcissistic tech obsessed behavior because our brains have already been transformed. 
and people are just going to keep doing whatever the fuck they want because they think over the last 20 years they could be that way because that's how they have literally lived their life every day for the last 20 years. You know, you've, I, I don't think I've expressed this point yet, but you, you, you've talked about it uh, quite articulately about, I think what it's done, mate, is uh, there's been a commodification of everybody. Everybody sees now, I think Instagram is a, is a really interesting case in point. It's like, you know, it's a platform for everybody self-marketing. So it's you, you self-market the brand, the image that you wish to present to the world. You know, that's a, that's a new thing. I mean, obviously, there's always been a point of that. I remember the times in like, you know, the early 90s still. I'd go into a pub in England as a, as a young boy uh, with my parents. And, you know, you present it then as, as a boy. You know, it, there was a real sort of um, macho thing that you put out. You know, like you went into the toilet still and you had to like fart and burp and spit. And, you know, like, like there was a self presentation which the pressure to do that I think in a social setting has perhaps come down and I think feel like there has been a wider acceptance of I can be who who I want to be amongst my friends and peers now a little bit more but conversely what you've had is online yeah there's been this idea of well you have to you have to present putting your best foot forward like 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 we were saying earlier about going into an agent or something like that you present what you want to present the yoga teacher that has to you know show off their beautiful body whilst the sun sets on a beach in the Comoro Islands or wherever it is you know and the the reality is they still take a shit twice a day and right. like you know they had a fight with their in-laws or whatever you know and it's just like that's one thing I really love about taking your yoga class is that you you're self-aware enough to make jokes in the class. It's not up its own arse, it's real. And that's something that has really appealed to, to me um, about you as, as a person. Um, and I've sort of trailed off. Um, uh, well, you were talking about... But back to a roundabout point, which is I, I, you interest me, Eddie, because I, 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 I sense your um, frustration with the current goings on but like you remind me of that sentence uh, that old adage of inside every cynic is a frustrated optimist (laughs) Um, i like that yeah and i suppose i suppose my final question to you would be if you believe in such things and you may not but let's say there's a let's say that there's a creator who creates all of us and puts our souls on the planet at various different times for various different reasons you what's the you know, if, if you're someone who finds it so frustrating to be around at this particular moment in time, what do you think was the utility of putting you here now? You know, do you do you wish that you'd been incarnated in 1920 as opposed to now? Do you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, like, and yeah. lived through, like, the Second World War and all those horrors and, you know, <laughs> or, like, you know, the Spanish influenza epidemic. Do you know what I mean? Like, like what, what do you think about your being here now? Is there anything good that you can take from it? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. If if I lived then, I, I probably would have lived to the age of five or something. Because I, I right, this is the thing we all would have probably died of polio or something awful. Yeah, I would have because I like a good bed. I like a good hotel. I like to travel. I certainly like. Good, <laughs> I like a good margarita. There you go. Yeah. See, so I mean, like, exactly. I mean, like the benefits of that, and I think perhaps that's what this coronavirus has done. And again, like, I'm not because I listen, mate. I, I know my friend Claire, very good friend of mine, is an ICU nurse, and she's up in. New York City right now and this thing's real man and scary and it is is, you know it's been it's it's killing people and um but within a wider context I I stick by the point that I feel like it's this thing in its horror in isolated places is perhaps occurring in a bit of a vacuum and that vacuum being um a place of real relative comfort and stability of, of margaritas and nice hotel rooms and then all of a sudden boom well guess what the Prime Minister of England has got it and he's on a ventilator. Do you know what I mean? I think that's really frightening to a lot of people, well, including I, myself. Like I say, on bad days, I'm scared of it. And then on, on, on good days, I'm able to see and reflect on, well, I'm here, I'm healthy, I, I'm now. It helps me get more into the now, which is what we should all be aiming for, right? Living for the moment a bit more. I think that's probably my intention behind the reason I teach yoga and write, yeah. my, write my book and created this podcast. I think it's okay to have different opinions and thoughts. It's okay to um, not do what everybody else is doing. 
it feels as though this vacuum is sucking people up and try and spitting us out and we're all sort of becoming the same. And if somebody has a differing opinion from yours, we, we don't know how to react to that anymore. No, we don't. We don't. We, we, in fact, actually, we've got to a point where if somebody has a different opinion to you, you think that they're a bad person. Yes. Uh, that, and that's, that's, that's such a shame. And, it, and it's, it's the reason why politics is so divided. Um, and it's the reason why nothing gets done. It's like, guys, come on, we have to compromise. You know, you can't, it's too easy to say, oh, you know, Trump's an idiot or Obama's an idiot or, you know, or that they're evil and nefarious. Even if you think that that's true, you must, for the good of the, the greater whole, you must put those, those prejudices and those bias on hold so that we can have some sort of meaningful dialogue on anything. It, it, that really frustrates me. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, Chris, Next time you come on the show, and I actually want to have you on like in the next six weeks or so, because I wanted to go back and just ask why you came to L.A. and just about acting. And, and, yeah, Because sure. we never really even touched on that, um, which, no, is, we which, just, which but, is fun. I mean, but I'm glad we didn't, and we probably yeah. shouldn't, because okay. now it's fucked up time. Like, you know, yeah, okay. irrespective of what you think's going on and how bad it is, it's just, it's, it's a difficult, interesting, fucked up time. And I think, I th- like I say, I hold to the fact that, I mean, I'm fascinated as to how we're going to look back on it. And what we'll take from it, I think its philosophical value can only ever be really um, properly evaluated with hindsight, you know. Um, And so in the interim, I think, you know, conversations like this and checking in with each other and a little bit of debate and all that stuff, I think that's really helpful, man. It certainly certainly helped me heal a bit. When we were coming into this conversation, like I said, I was a bit jittery off the back of two cups of coffee and right. finding out that my, my prime minister was, was in the hospital. But um, I feel bad. So thanks, man. Hey, man, I, I appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate you coming to yoga. I'm so happy I met you uh, at training mate a few months ago and and, <laughs> and I got to see you again. I miss that place. <laughs> yeah, me too. I do too. That's that's a great spot. Um yeah, Coleman, I'll see I'll see you soon. All right, mate. Take care. I'll see you in class tomorrow. Later, dude. Bye. Bye.